All right, take two, three, two, one, record. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all around good people. It is week 26 of 2022. I'm Chris Louie, and week 26 means we are halfway through 2022. Can you believe it? It was just like yesterday we were celebrating the new year. I am not broadcasting from Las Vegas, where I set to meet my co-host, Brian Deach, who is sweating his tail off in that desert heat. So you would think I'd be sweating my tail off, but I'm from Arizona. We're just built different. Also, it's only 93 degrees here, overcast and raining. Uh, are you going to tell everyone why you're not here, Chris? So the Louis household had a COVID incident, and it was, would not have been prudent for me to travel with uh, someone testing positive in the house. So I am sheltering in place, quarantining, lockdown, whatever you want to call it. Haven't seen another soul outside in a number of days now. You just ordering Taco Bell and having to drop it off the back door. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> lucky, lucky, lucky guess. Right on, man. Well, uh, all right. you know, we're all wishing you and your family uh, to get well real quick. And if you don't have it, keep it up. Yeah, thank you. It's it's that Diablo sauce. So I think that Taco Bell Diablo sauce, the just sheer amount of Diablo sauce I consume is I think it's holding it at bay. So I should probably keep eating massive amounts of Diablo sauce and I might be okay. I feel bad for your toilet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has not been a kind week to the children of the Pebcac host, and we'll leave it at that. But also, no Glenn this week. He is still out to dinner right now. So as is tradition, here is my Glenn impression. Hey, guys. Happy to be back for the podcast. I just ate some fish and chips and had some haggis. That, that's actually a pretty good impression. We'll just kind of leave it at that. But we miss you, Glenn. You should be here not having fun in, in London. Yeah, we would have. Had, he would have been our first European, our first person broadcasting from Europe if he had shown up today. Because we've had, this is here in SP, they were our first guests from uh, overseas. And then we had people from America's hat join, but no one from Europe so far. So hope to change that, actually. I, have, I think I have some guests lined up that might be from Europe soon. Mark Ryan. Paging Mark Ryan, love to have you. There you go, calling him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no guests this week due to our travel schedules. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. On Closing the Loop this week, I remember on our episode that we had with Guy on, we talked about Paige Thompson, the AWS employee who improperly access Capital One's records in AWS. Well, she has been convicted and she will receive her sentence in September this year. Paige Thompson claimed, and this was her defense, she was conducting good faith security research to find the bugs in AWS, but a jury thought otherwise and convicted her of wire fraud and hacking under the CFAA. The hack took place in 2020, and back then the bank agreed to pay $80 million to settle claims and in December, they also agreed to pay $190 million to people whose data had been exposed in the breach. So quite a costly hack for Capital One. Well, I think it was Amber Heard that had claimed the dog took the dump on the bed. So, you know, it wasn't me. Shaggy defense isn't working very well lately. But, you know, it's kind of messed up. So I feel 
I borderline feel a ba- uh, little little bad for Paige. Like, so now you're guilty, and instead of just like figuring out like what's going to happen, you got to wait till September. It's like I don't I don't think I, I I bode well with like some sort of like pending doom hovering over my head. I just want to know exactly what it is. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I I also think I guess that's how the American justice system works. Is there's one jury that determines if you're guilty or not guilty and then there's uh actually i don't know if it's a jury or if it's a judge that decides on the sentencing so yeah I don't, i'm not sure why they can't decide on the spot if they have to have character witnesses or any kind of you know evidence or why why they couldn't just hand the sentence down on the spot after the verdict but i mean that's 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 the way the cookie crumbles three months of not knowing and it could be positive too because if she spends time in jail now and she gets her sentence you know you usually get credit for time served <laughs> All right, so you get you get two months time served, twenty two more years of imprisonment. <laughs> wow, thank you. Yeah, we'll see how serious she, they take these computer hacking crimes. Is she like out and about doing whatever she wants, or is she actually locked up? I'm not sure which which one's the case. Sometimes you release on your own recognizance and just show up for jail. Usually for like nonviolent, I think that might be more the case. And then you just have some kind of bail money to ensure that you come back. Oh, okay. Well, it'd be interesting. What if she's like a kind of a, a looker, right? She didn't have a bunch of nerds riding her on, you know, the uh, like pen pals trying to marry her <laughs> in prison. Yeah, I've heard prison, prison <clears throat> pen pal program. <laughs> if Manson could do it, I think anyone can. There's, there's someone out there for everyone. It's true. It's true. All right, for our opening topic, uh, I wanted to talk about a story that was making its rounds on InfoSec Twitter about the country of India imposing strict VPN logging requirements. The new logging requirements prompted VPN providers Surfshark and ExpressVPN, two very popular VPN services, to pull their services out from India. So their their actual physical servers in India, they had to, to pull those out. Both Surfshark and ExpressVPN still offer VPN services to get an IP address inside India, but the servers will now be hosted in Singapore and not in India in their borders. India is requiring all VPN service providers to collect metadata information on their users in contravention of what VPNs are supposed to do. So VPNs are supposed to protect user anonymity, and many popular VPN providers even offer like no log policy. So even if a government came in with a court order, they would be unable to comply. Is this the opening salvo in India becoming more like China and trying to control the flow of information for over a billion residents? You know, I was wondering the exact same thing. And you, you, you're asking that question, like what's going over? What is going on in India that they even care about this? I'm, I'm a little, I'm questioning it. What do you think, Chris? I, I think it's, it's still about control. So they they want to control. I think this is probably the first step. I, I'm sure China started this way with the whole Great Firewall thing, controlling information, controlling where users can go. Uh, in, in China, it was more of you know politics, covering up things like Tiananmen Square and freedom and democracy. I don't know much about India politics to know how free their press is or how you know fair their justice system is some of our listeners might be able to fill us in but i do know that on the infosec side they're getting a lot more authoritarian on the the internet uh on the internet side and and not allowing things like privacy to to exist 
I actually had to Google it. So the government in India is an executive authority. So there is no democracy over there. I kind of would have guessed that they wouldn't have that. So I guess you can't be surprised. Do they even have elections or anything going on there? Yeah, they have elections. I know they have elections. It's, I guess, I don't know how it works there. If it's, if they're, I'm sure there's like regional governments and there's the national government. I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to Indian politics, but maybe some of our listeners can enlighten us if there's, if there's this thought that you want to suppress political dissonance there and the party in power wants to control it and how free and fair the elections are there. Uh, I think this is like China. It's a big red flag. I think you start doing this, you know, kind of stuff like this. There's something, you know, a little suspect going on over there. And the fact that they're trying to collect data on a billion people like that, that's so much information. Uh, unless you're like the their Dell EMC rep, right? You're like, yeah, you guys need storage? I got you back, baby. You're going to need a ton. <laughs> I don't know. They probably go with like some other hypervisor or not hypervisor. What am I looking for? What's Nutanix? Hyperconverged, right? Hyperconverged computing, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I just looked it up on the spot here. Freedomhouse.org, so they do freedom in the world. So India scores a 67 out of 100, uh, which is down from last year was a 71 out of 100. But Freedom House does rank them as a, quote, free country. So, I mean, they're. it seems like that's the trend, that some of those freedoms, like political rights and civil liberties, are starting to get eroded, and this is probably another another mark of you know banning VPN services or requiring these metadata collection because really why would you want to know the identities of VPN users? India can claim, well this is for law enforcement, so lawful surveillance. These are to track terrorists, these are to track uh, child predators. But really the the other side of that is so they can keep tabs on who's using these VPN services, where where are they going? Let's identify yeah. these users. So I, I mean, yeah, Freedom House ranks them as free. Uh, and then these VPN providers chose not to comply, and they're just going to find another way around it. I bet you what happened, some leader over there was like, you know, he's on Google or their equivalency of that. And he's like, oh, my God, the U.S. has this thing called the Freedom. Well, no, it wasn't the Freedom of Information Act. It was the one that we got to superimpose right after 9-11 and do whatever we want. Surveillance. Patriot Act. Oh, yeah, yes, the Patriot, the Patriot Act. Act. Yeah, they're like, we got to come out with that. Like, that sounds pretty rad. I don't know. I think it's terrifying. Where do we rank on the uh, the freedom scale? That's a good question. Let me see. We have to be a 100. I mean, we're the good old USA, baby. I'll, it doesn't really <laughs> feel like that sometimes. All right. So the freedom index for the United States, we sit at an 83, which is a lot further down the list than I guess I would have expected. Mm. So the top, a B minus. top countries. Yeah. So the top countries ranked. Uh, the only countries that's ranked 100 out of 100. Norway, Finland, and Sweden. So Nordic countries is probably not too much of a surprise. Can even own a gun there? That has to come into it, right? <laughs> or is this just like online policy only? How much does a McRib cost in so Norway? Political rights and civil liberties. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we'll have to dig US into is this. 83. All right. Yeah. And then uh, I was going to do the reverse stack rank. So the worst countries in those. So there's three countries in the world that are ranked one, and that's no surprise here. Syria, Tibet, South Sudan, Turkmenistan, Eritrea, and North Korea. So those are the bottom countries. There there are some countries for political rights 
their political rights score is negative. It's not only do you have no political oh. rights, but it goes in the negative. So series a negative three on political rights. <laughs> that's one of those people that's like, you know what? If we're going to do it right, let's not do it right at all. Let's just go for the worst score ever. Like, how do you even do Yeah, that? like, go far in the paint. <laughs> I know. Negative. That's hilarious. Like, I mean, it's not so, it's not hilarious, but it's it's humorous that the score can go negative. It's incredible to me that I remember, I think my wife showed me like a documentary. Someone went inside North Korea and they're kind of showing them like, this is what we see on TV, right? All hail the, uh, the leader here. There is no yep. internet and stuff like that. That it's just, it's a closed book. They have no idea what's going on outside of their own little world. Or there's a rumor, yeah, right? Yeah, North, North Korea is interesting. Like if you've ever watched that movie, The Interview with uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen, and they mm-hmm. drive around and there's like fake grocery stores and everything like that. That actually happens. Like for when people go there for, you know, either tourism or for documentaries, like they actually have literally like fake grocery stores to make it look like they're more yeah, prosperous fake than whole they are. Apartment buildings too, right? Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's an interesting country for sure. All right. We are way off topic. We're talking about security here today, folks. <laughs> All right. Well, for our first official topic here, <laughs> Bleeping Computer reports that users inside of Russia are no longer able to download ISOs of Windows 10 or Windows 11. Users inside of Russia are met with a 404 error when they attempt to access these ISOs. And the ISO is the file you need to install the operating system. Users also report that using a VPN, so speaking of VPNs, to get an IP address outside of Russia results in them being able to download the ISO. So it's definitely a geo-restriction in being able to access these tools. Requests for comment from Microsoft were declined, so we don't know if it's Russia cutting off access to Western software companies or Microsoft making good on their threats to pull out of Russia. This comes after Microsoft announced in March this year that they were pulling out of Russia and laying off their 400 employees in the country. Microsoft-owned GitHub also began suspending accounts of Russian developers tied to sanctioned companies, whether they still work for them or not. So, I mean, not being able to download Windows 11, is that is that really a curse or is that a gift? You know, having not played with Windows since like Windows 7, I'm going to guess it must be a gift uh, based on your snarkiness of your comment there. But I would... I'm, <laughs> but based off of a 404, like think about it, like if Russia was blocking it, I highly doubt they have the ability to terminate and decrypt traffic and be able to throw up an elegant page, right? You just probably see like, hey, the page can't like be displayed, like you know, typical Internet Explorer type of error. I think if it's actually throwing a 404 with a nice message, like you can't do that, I think that's probably Microsoft drawing a, a hard line in the sand. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the tech press and infosec twitter tends to agree with you that based on the air message and the fact that microsoft didn't comment makes it sound like it's microsoft honoring those the either honoring those sanctions or making good on their word to to fully withdraw from the country hey, microsoft all around good company <laughs> <laughs> the other argument that i saw in infosec twitter is that well now that these people you know there's there might still be legitimate companies and, and legitimate c- civilians in that country trying to get copies of of windows and you need the iso file to make like a recovery disk so if if somebody's computer crashes they might be forced to download like a pirated copy or an unauthorized copy of it to get the recovery tools and then that could infect their system so there's a potential downside 
to Microsoft not allowing official copies in. Well, I'm sure some Linux distro right now is doing the uh, the double dutch. They're like, yeah. <laughs> no windows for you, baby. <laughs> Got to come over to, here. To Linux. It's the year of the Linux. Maybe they'll borrow the Linux operating system that China's developing. What what operating system do you think they would go with if they went with Linux? Hmm, good question. I would think Ubuntu. I would guess Ubuntu, like Mint or Ubuntu, just because they are closer to Windows, I would say. And just I'm thinking, for ease of use and yeah. I'm thinking uh, a bootable one off a USB drive, like a like plaque. Remember that? You remember the P H L A C K? It's old. It's, I, I think it was like it was insanely small, but it was like a professional hackers Linux assault kit. I think is what it was. It's like Cali. Yeah, it was like similar to Cali. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I I haven't dipped my toe in the water for Windows 11 yet. My my one or two Windows machines keep prompting me to download and update it. I think the thing that annoys me the most is the dock at the bottom. You can't move it. So the dock is permanently stuck in the middle, similar to how it is on Mac. So it, it's, I don't know if it's disingenuous for me to say that because I'm fine with the dock in the middle on the Mac and I can't move it. But when Windows tells me I can't move the dock back to where it was on the bottom left, then I'm like, no, I'm not. I refuse to use Windows 11 just based on that alone. You can move the dock in Mac. Okay, well, I, I... In the many, many years I've been using OS X, I've never in the history moved the dock, and I've been fine with it in the middle. But when Windows tells me I cannot move the dock back to where I want it to, that's where I draw the line. You're not my grandmother's OS. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> exactly. I'll be honest with you. I, I I use Command Spacebar for everything I need to do inside Mac. I don't, I don't think I've ever clicked on anything in the dock. Yeah, I think I do that too to bring up Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. There's probably everything. a few of the the frequently used apps, but yes, for for me, command space and then type the first three letters of the app might be faster than for me to find the mouse and click the right icon. I found a keyboard shut. So you know when you hit like uh, the minus, it sinks down, and if you try to do like the mm -hmm. control tab, it doesn't go there. But if you hit control, I think control shift tab, no, control option tab. I'm gonna figure this out right now. Dang it, I thought I had this. Nope, I give up. Anyways, I'll get back to you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> but there is a way to unminimize it with a keyboard stroke. But uh, my challenge here is I normally use like a like a Windows-based keyboard that's uh, plugged into my dock at home. And right now I'm using the actual Mac keyboard. So I'll just be quiet. Yeah. I'll see myself out. It'll give us the Windows shortcut and then we'll have to translate it to the Mac. This is the terrorist of one. All right. For our second topic, research at a security company, Malwarebytes, shows that Email-based threats have been overrun by the async rat malware, surpassing Drydex, TrickBot, and Emotet combined. This came to me as a surprise since this was the first time I heard about async rat. Async rat accounted for a whopping 62% of all email-based infections. I know we talked about Emotet and TrickBot gaining the attention of law enforcement and an attempt to rebrand to get rid of that reputation. In 2020, Emotet, TrickBot, and Drydex all combined accounted for 75% uh, to 90% of all email-based infections. So this represents a significant changing of the guard to async rat. Not much is known about async rat right now other than it's a remote access trojan and it's been delivered with the 
so-called Felina exploit in Microsoft's products. Could this be a rebranding or is this the JV team moving up to Varsity? So never listen to me on my first go. I'm saying rebranding, but it probably is moving up. When you were when you were reading this off, I'm like async. Right? I haven't heard this one yet. And then you put it <laughs> literally the same thing. You haven't heard about it either. I think the last one I played with was uh, Trickbot back in the day. So I'm curious, and I'm still going to call it Emotet. I wonder if async rat is as pluggable as Emotet. It might be. Maybe that's why it's so popular. Is it's and and yeah, that, like Drydex used to start out as a banking trojan, and then it moved on to to other stuff. And then I think Emotet, same thing, it started out as a banking trojan. SpyEye, same idea, banking trojan that moved on to you know, remote access tools. So the popularity could lend itself to it being really modular. I mean, the the bad guys are always going to go after the money, right? So the, may, maybe Async has been around for a long time, and it was only recently discovered, right? And once the cat's out of the bag, they're just like, oh, just throw it out there to the, you know, just chum the water, guys, and see what we can do with this thing. I have no idea. What's yeah, the Felina exploit? Felina exploit, this was, this one got a lot of tech press maybe three weeks ago or so. I don't think we actually covered it on here, but Felina was a an exploit that took advantage. Of, I think it's called the Microsoft Diagnostics Tools. So when a, a Microsoft product crashes and it brings up that screen that says, do you want to send a report to Microsoft with all your personal info so we can diagnose <coughs> this issue? Mm-hmm. So it's a an in-house tool. And it was a pretty bad one. It was a, uh, I think it was an art. You can craft a rich text file, an RTF file. And even if you click on the file once, so you don't open it, you click on it, uh, Windows automatically does the preview and you could basically have remote code execution from just clicking on a file one time. So not even double clicking it, not even enabling macros or, or anything. So this one was leveraging the diagnostic tools to do a basically a, a one click uh, remote code execution. Oh, that's sexy. Just got to get them to at least click on it, right? Like, uh, is this a good idea? Maybe if I just touch it once, I'll be okay. False. You're dead. Yeah. Even loading in preview. Um, and then I think there was also an LNK shortcut uh, piece to this as well. So if you create a shortcut to the file, it pointed the file, which loaded the preview, which then loaded the malicious code. So this one, it, it was pretty bad. And then Microsoft took a while to fix it as well because, and and that's the problem with a lot of Microsoft stuff is when somebody exploits a tool that is legitimate, so like the print spooler tool or this Microsoft diagnostic tool, Microsoft has a really hard time shutting it down because it's a legitimate use. It's just somebody that's abusing that technology. You remember the, there was one, I think it was in not Outlook online, but it was like the physical client. If you typed in a UNC path that even though you just, you clicked open the email, you didn't actually click the link. Outlook would try to like go in the background and prefetch that, that, that link. And so you can do the UNC, you always think about like net BIOS names, right? But you can actually put yeah. an IP address to a malicious site that they piece some malware. So in this case, that would be like kind of your quote unquote first touch. I think they've since patched that, but it gives me that the same kind of warm and fuzzies there. Yeah, there there was that, and then there was the. I think there was an exploit in Outlook as well that it it would tr- attempt to re- retrieve remote content, and it would end up sending the hash, the NTLM hash of the user's password. So there is some yep. credential harvesting type stuff yeah. for, for Outlook and that. But yeah, Microsoft's just been not, well, 
they're they're a huge target because everyone uses it. But yeah, there's some been some pretty bad bugs that people have found. And to their credit, Microsoft you know does their best to patch it. Although lately, the MSRC has come under heavy criticism for not responding to things, fixing things without giving credit to people. So that could be a a bad sign that their their response center is is not being friendly with the security research community anymore. Well, hey, you know, speaking of giving pe- uh, people credit, I'm going to get, I'm going to hype up my, my youngest daughter, Chloe. We're on a plane this morning and uh, she was jumping on the Southwest Airlines Wi Fi and, you know, message popped up. It's like, hey, uh, <clears throat> you know, free in flight texting, click here to continue. And she said, she handed me the phone. She goes, Dad, is this okay? I said, yes, honey, it's okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> well done, Chloe. You taught her well and she remembered what you taught her. Trust but verify. Yep, always trust but verify. All right, for our third topic, this will be our ransomware story of the week. We are going to dive deeper into a really interesting report of the NetWalker ransomware group. It turns out only one in four victims of the NetWalker ransomware crew reported the incident to the FBI's IC3, or Internet Crime Complaint Center, to notify law enforcement. This is consistent with the notion that cybercrime, specifically ransomware, is grossly underreported. When I review the FBI's IC3 report every year, ransomware accounts for something like $50 million in U.S. losses each year. But I know this number is actually much larger due to the underreporting requirement, and the IC3 report does not take into account the soft costs of a ransomware attack beyond just the initial ransom. The ransom payment may represent less than 10% of the total cost for a company to recover from a devastating ransomware attack. Now, we know that only about 25% of people report it because the NetWalker leak site shows all the companies that they breach, and then they compare that with the IC3 uh, complaint center and says only about less than a quarter of those companies actually reported the, the, the attack on their systems. So this is $200 million? What's the real number then? I think it's 10 times, at least 10 times more, at least 500 million. Easy. Yeah, just, just cross-referencing my crypto deposits. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you smell. Gonna, yeah. We'll, we'll apply some blockchain analysis to, to Brian's crypto wallets, and then we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll find something there, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. I think, you know... It, I'm fortunate enough to talk to a lot of customers and every once in a while we have the conversation with like, Hey, uh, you know, they got hit with, with ransomware and they paid it, but now they're, they're talking to us, but whatever you do, do not bring it up. Right. It's like, Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then I also think there's, uh, maybe it's like death by a thousand cuts or maybe it's wealth by a thousand breaches. Right. Maybe they're not always going for the, you know, the biggest, baddest companies that are out there. They're hitting up, you know, smaller companies that, you know, the InfoSec guy is, you know, the brother's little sister's friend from childhood that happens to know how to type in the word password and they are they are secure and I think they pay for it. I think that probably happens a lot. I think there's a lot of ransomwares that are coming in, maybe five grand, ten grand, right? And just it's you know, churn and burn, baby. Yeah, it's like salami slicing. You have the 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 biggest of the big and then you have these much smaller players out there with much smaller ransoms that some people just say, yeah, it's, it's worth it for me to pay 10 grand rather than spend a week offline trying to recover everything. Um, al- although there was a report that I read recently that 
uh, I think it was like a U.S. steel manufacturer or some type of industri- somebody in the industrial area. Uh, they did exactly that. They negotiated a ransom with the ransomware crew. They paid it and they got like maybe 10% of their files back. And then the, the ransomware crew was like, oh, no, nope, you got to pay more if you want more decryption keys. So then they kind of went back on their word and they eventually went out of business, unfortunately. So they're, for in some instances, there's really no honor amongst thieves. Very true. And so we think of like the, I can't remember who it was. It was that, wasn't there the uh, the meatpacking or whatever? It was JBS the, the, Foods, I think it was. Yeah. They didn't pay, right? They, you know, the goodwill got them out of the, out of that bind, right? There was some sort of weakness in the vulnerability or in the, in the ransomware and they had to pay for it, got it all decrypted. Or was that a different company? I think JBS paid. I think they, they paid okay. like 28 million. Yeah, twenty eight okay. or forty million. They paid a significant sum. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think if, if you're, you're big of enough, Colonial Pipeline. So yeah. Colonial Pipeline paid. I think they paid like twenty million, and then the FBI somehow found the private keys to the Bitcoin wallet the attackers had. So they recovered. They clawed back a huge chunk of that. Okay, I just think that if you're big enough, right, and you're you're asking for a huge chunk of money like that, twenty eight million. Um, you know, you're gonna hire companies like Mandiant and stuff like that, and to, just to see what they could do, to see if they could get you out of this this pickle that you're in, and maybe you'll pay five million, yeah, or ten MC million, Soft so you're not is, thirty. Yeah, MCSoft is the big up and coming company, the the premier ransomware recovery company. That they they have a lot of free decryptors, they have a lot of decryptors that mm-hmm. may or may not work, and then even after you pay for the key, they can make a decryptor that will actually work and not completely destroy your files. Yeah. So there is a there is an emerging market here. Yeah, I think so think about it, if you're a bad guy, right? Like if you're lucky enough to make that breach, then you're you're really hoping that number one, they're gonna pay. Number two, you don't have a company like MC coming in and uh, you know, trashing all your goodwill. Maybe you just go after the smaller guys that you think you're you know be easier for them to pay. Yeah, it's like do you attack, you know, a hundred smaller targets or one gigantic target? That's that's what you gotta weigh out. Yeah, the old would you rather fight one horse-sized duck? You know what I'm saying. Or hundred duck-sized horses. <laughs> horses, yeah. <laughs> always. You always, you always take the one horse-sized duck. It's going to be a pretty angry duck, but at least you only got to deal with one. Which one do you always pick, Brian? You know, I've, I've asked the question a million times, but I don't think I've ever figured it out. So, I mean, ducks are like, even a regular-sized duck is kind of a jerk, right? If it's pissed. They are. They are. Yeah. And... A hundred horse size or duck size horses, I think they'd just be adorable, but they're going to have like these small little legs, right? And I think I could just kick them. And their mouth is going to be super small, right? They're, like it might, I don't think it's going to be that bad. I'm taking on the horses. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the problem with a hundred of them is you might get swarmed. Like, yeah, you, you could take on one, you could take on 10, you could take on 15, 20, but when you have a hundred of them all jumping on you, piling on you, that's when you might get into trouble. Like, it's, it's not like going to be a movie where 99 of them stand around and you fight each of them one-on-one. No, I'm thinking, I see them coming at me. I'm like, oh, you don't want the smoke, brother. And I'm just going to start kicking them. Like, I'm Godzilla, right? <laughs> I'm just punting these little horses. Their little bones are going to break so easy. I mean, if I was built like you, maybe I'd take on the duck you know get that fearless stature but yeah man like think about <laughs> how small that horse's mouth is going to be like it, it might be able to clip a toenail and that's about it i'm not afraid all right fair enough yeah i'm just thinking of like like fire ants like fire ants yeah you could squash them but you know you get you get enough of these things and they can kill you know animals you know much larger than them 
Yeah, stupid fire ants. Did you ever take a, <laughs> like a like a, a red ant and a black ant, put them in a thing and watch them fight? Uh, I didn't grow up in an area that had red ants. So we only had the black ants around here. Oh, yeah. We would screw them all the time. Like, well, you know what? You're a black ant. You're a jerk. You're going to go in the red ant pile. Just you by yourself. <laughs> and just sit there and laugh. And then we pour gas on it and then light it on fire. And that is the making of a serial killer right there. Nope. Nope. It has to be an animal. Not an For insect. our last topic. <laughs> <laughs> For our last topic, and it'll be a rotating topic every week. This week, we're going to talk about what movie have you seen at least 10 times? We're all movie buffs here, and I'm guessing we all have our go-to movie when we need something in the background. For me, there are many, but my all-time go-to would have to be Inception. So I love Christopher Nolan movies, and Inception, I think, is the most clever of his work. There's a meta layer to Inception, which goes above the movie at face value. And I'll post a link in the show notes about a speaker who talks about Inception and philosophy and why it should have won Best Picture. You know, I'm fully in agreement with that. I think that the Academy missed a lot of what Nolan was trying to do with Inception, but hey. There are subtle clues throughout the movie, and it really is a movie where you discover something new every single time you watch it. For example, I'm going to spoil the movie for anyone who hasn't seen the movie since it's been more than 10 years at this point. So if you don't want to spoil Inception, fast forward like two minutes. Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Dom, his totem in the movie to determine whether he's in a dream or not is a top. So every character carries around this totem and it ensures that they use this totem to make sure they're not in someone else's dream. He spins the top, and in his dream, the top never topples over, just spins forever. In the real world, the top would topple over due to angular momentum and friction and the like. So his totem actually works the opposite of what you would expect it to. At the end of the movie, it pans to his top to see if the top falls over or not, because Leo gets reunited with his children, which is the ultimate goal in his movie anyway, So the viewer is left to see if Leonardo DiCaprio's character is really dreaming or not. But it doesn't matter if the top falls or not. The totem in the movie behaves the opposite of what would happen in the real world. So like Arthur's loaded die, they behave differently than the real world dice. Ames' poker chip would be spelled correctly if he was in someone else's dream. But Dom's totem of the top operates in the opposite way. So even if he's in someone else's dream the top would fall over because that's how tops operate in the real world. So it doesn't matter if the top falls over or not. He could still be inside someone else's dream. I can confidently say I never thought about that ever. (laughs) (laughs) Now you piqued my curiosity. I kind of want to go uh, watch the movie again. I think I've only seen it Watch the YouTube video first because that explains a lot of the subtleties um, and things to look out for. And then watch the movie again. And you're like, oh, okay. Now I know what that means. Like, even things like the the, the six-digit number that keeps coming up over and over and over again. You know, the, the, the attractive blonde's phone number is six digits long. The hotel room number. Uh, the number that's written on the train that comes crashing through the first layer of the dream has that six-digit number. So very clever movie. I really like it. It's, it's over the head of a lot of people, and I think a lot of people miss some of that. But if if you're really into movies, uh, I, I really enjoy this, especially after I watch that, that YouTube video. Yeah, please put it in the show notes so everyone can geek out on this and maybe figure it out. Yeah. So mine, and I kind of feel like you're a liar 
because you have kids. I think that there's got to be some sort of kid movie that you can watch 10 times over and still. So like there's it. a difference between a movie <clears throat> I have watched 10 times and a movie that I would like to watch 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like anytime Toy Story comes on, I could always watch it. I'm like, whatever. This still good still one, good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, mine would be The Matrix. The first one only. I can watch that. The first that. one, yeah. 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 And I, and I love sharing it with my kids. I love, you know, showing that to them for the first time. And then my, my daughter, Chloe, she's like, we watched the entire thing. And as soon as we finish it, she's like, we got to go back and rewatch the entire thing again. <laughs> she's like, I'm so confused. Yeah. There's so much going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that's another movie that also has a lot of subtlety in it that you learn something new every time. Like there's little Easter eggs, there's little clues throughout the movie, and you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize it or see it unless you've you've already seen it, and then you know what to look for the next time. Yeah. The other part to it is like Matrix is super old, but the the graphics still deliver to this day. I don't care who you are. Yeah, they, knew what they, they still were stand doing. up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know who like outside of movies, you know who was killing it is AMC. So they would do the Talking Dead. I believe like where they would have like stuff going on during like an episode and then they would have like commercial breaks explaining things that were going on. Same thing with like Breaking Bad. Heck, I think even Breaking Bad for the last season had a website that you would go to. And as it was playing through, it would refer back to things that had been going on in there. And you're like, oh, my God, I completely forgot about that. Like, you know, the, the position yeah. they're at, that's the first, you know, like where so I won't say who it is. So and so dies. Right. He's the first place that Walton uh What's the dude's name? The kid? Uh, Jesse. Jesse cooked meth for the first time. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Little things like that sound. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I like that, too. And there's there are movies that require you to go back and look. So Tenet was another one. We actually had a whole podcast yeah. about the movie Tenet. And you had to go back and you had to watch all these YouTube videos to explain. You had to watch all these things. And like, okay, well, I can actually appreciate you know, how these movies were made and, and appreciating a rewatch. And then there are other movies like uh, There Will Be Blood. And that kind of ended. I'm like, okay, what just happened? So There Will Be Blood and I would say Parasite as well. I had to go back and try to find what the director was trying to convey here. And after reading, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. So Parasite is about class warfare and There Will Be Blood. Or it's all, it's all about what false prophets and the like and you know daniel's character and the priest was like do pretty similar you know what else we're forgetting right interstellar that was a banger that's i don't think i've watched it 10 times but if that was like if i had an option to like go have a a nice steak dinner tonight or watch inception or i'm sorry interstellar i'd I'd go watch interstellar yeah that was a very good one too i like i like that one a lot another nolan one all right. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, Brian's up. All right. Do you know the difference between wallpaper and toilet paper? Just say What's it. that? Gross. Chris wipes his butt on the wall, guys. It's disgusting. If that's too much, I got another one for you. No, I think that's good. You think that's good? Okay. Yeah, you're good. All right, to wrap things up, (laughs) VPN providers are pulling out of India due to new logging requirements. Russia blocked downloads to Windows 11, and that might not be a bad thing. 
async rat is taking over the most popular botnet and malware droppers. Ransomware is grossly underreported. And go watch Inception. It will literally change your life. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pepcac Podcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rate us five stars in the iTunes store and Spotify and let's put us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pepcac Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next weekend. As always, have a nice day. Bye, Glenn. Love you. Bye, Glenn.